Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. Never before in the history of sports podcasts have two men brought you opinion and analysis like these two. They speak for a city that's desperate for wins and titles, not whining and travesty. You might not agree with what they have to say, but you'll defend their right to say it. Sports fans across the world, from Chicago, Illinois, this is The Mac and Reed Show. Everybody, welcome into another edition of the Mac and Reed Show right here on the Barroom Network. And you can find all of the shows on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, the audio version only there, of course, for the last two. And don't forget to follow the Barroom Network on Twitter at Barroom Network. You can follow Ross and I on Twitter. Follow me at the real Evan Mac. Follow Ross at Ross Reed. Same thing if you want to see our faces anywhere else. And we were we had a week off. I was sick. Now I'm back. COVID's still very real. Just you know, my um, my public service announcement is just take care of yourselves, please. It's, it's still still out there, especially when you got a family to worry about. But we're, but we back like we never left. How you doing, Ross? I'm good. I'm glad you guys are feeling better. Well wishes to you and the missus and to little baby Lily. And uh, yeah, COVID's still real out there. So you know. Do what you can to take care of yourselves. And uh yeah, absolutely good to see you back. The future stinks. I mean, this is this is a shitty time to be I'm just kidding. The future's great. Like for, <laughs> it's a very very much a give take, you know. I'll take we don't have the flying cars that we were promised in hoverboards, but we have a lot of cool shit. But we also have a lot of not cool shit. One of them being COVID. So we just kind of gotta adapt, right? It could have been monkeypox, right? So at least you don't have that. It could have been monkeypox. <laughs> That's weird. So the people that that don't know uh, me, Ross, of course, knows, you know, we, we know our plans. I was in Vegas. And so Vegas gave me the, the COVID. So Vegas could have easily given me the mo- monkey pox. If you want to hear how I got COVID, uh, you can Venmo me for five dollars and, uh, and I'll tell you the story at some point. We have a lot to get to on the show today. We're talking about the Bears, of course, to lead off. They broke many camp and injuries already. Uh, expectations for David Montgomery. Gronk, as far as NFL news, oh my God, he's retiring again. And uh, we say goodbye to a couple of Baltimore Ravens, very unfortunate. And there's some other minor headlines going around. Uh, Warriors, we didn't get to talk about the the new champs and the Warriors uh, last week, just taking care of the Celtics in six games. What that does for Steph's legacy, what that does for Steve Kerr's legacy, Draymond too. Draymond was hilarious. We'll get to all of that. And the rest of the basketball news that's breaking right now is the drafts popping up and trades are happening. Touch on baseball, music. Uh, I watched Hustle. And then, of course, we'll end the show with a top five as well. You know, right now, Ross, we're, we're in that abyss. Once the finals end, it, it's that sort of lull. I mean, we have baseball and Stanley Cup playoffs are going on right now with the, uh, the, the, the two hockey teams that happen to be in there. And... And yeah, baseball and, and hockey. And then really, we're just going to have baseball until a lot of you know, football training camp news and all this. So so we'll have a lot of I don't know. We'll be all over the place for sure. Various topics that we get to. But as usual, we will lead with some Bears news and, and not too much as, as they had mini camps and and they broke this past Thursday and Matt Eberflus in his first Bears uh, mini camps. He he broke camp and he, he told his players, he encouraged them to, quote, come back lean, fit, and strong. Amen to that. Uh, didn't come without bad news already. You know, you hate in training camp and early on when these guys haven't even played it down and haven't even trimmed it down to the 53-man roster. So I guess it's good to, to that extent, too. Uh, that Dakota Dozier is already on the IR, so he was injured in a mini camp practice. That's bad, you know, considering this offensive line needs a lot of depth and there's a big microscope uh, under these this unit too to protect Justin Fields and to pave the way for David Montgomery uh Jason Stanley the cornerback who was formerly with the Seahawks was signed you know any other impressions from mini camp so far Ross and and soon we'll be in training camp uh, towards the end of July here so we have a lull from the Bears as well 
Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing at this point is, I mean, they got out of it relatively relatively unscathed, right? Um, Dozier got hurt. At the end of the day, that's not that big of a loss. I, I, that might be a little bit of uh, addition by subtraction because that might force Mark Ryan Poles to go out there and find another uh, veteran free agent guard uh, before the season starts. I don't think Dozier was very good. I don't think he was going to uh, contribute much for this football team going forward. I mean, the biggest thing is you were able to get some reps with your young guys and Justin Fields, who's taking all of the snaps right in, in camp and mini camp and going into training camp. He didn't have that uh, luxury last year because he was behind Andy Dalton. And, you know, you got out of there. Everybody was healthy. Everybody's okay. And now, um, these times tend to be the scariest for coaches and general managers because your your players are gone for about six to eight weeks or so. And, you know, you don't see them. You're not really in touch with them. You don't know what's going on. You hope that they're staying healthy. You hope that they're most importantly staying out of trouble and not showing up uh, on, on the police blotter or anything like that. So, I mean, those are the biggest things now. I, I know Fields and a lot of the offensive players are going to get together. I think they're getting together in Atlanta now. Um, last time they were in uh, you know, California and they were in Florida and stuff like that. So now I think they're getting together in Atlanta and that's all you want to see. But, you know, and from, from here on now, now it's just, we're all in a, in a big holding pattern until training camp starts and the bears released the, uh, the schedule, uh, for training camp, um, which will start in July. They released it yesterday. I believe they got their family fest day as they do usually, but this time it's, uh, it's during the week and, you know, it's going to be exciting to see all these guys come together and finally put some pads on and see who's, uh, who's going to shake out on the depth charts. Absolutely. From July 26th through August 21st, as you saw it, scroll at the bottom of your screen there, 11 practices open to the public, and they're all scheduled to begin those 10 a.m. times in, in Bourbonnet, in Bourbonnet. It's, mm -hmm. uh, and if you haven't gone before, it's an experience. You should definitely check it out. Uh, you know, as far as the Bears are concerned, there's obviously big expectations for the offense to kind of make the next step forward. And, and as I mentioned, a lot of it hinges on that offensive line. And a lot of it hinges on Justin Fields' development, too, as, as a quarterback in his second year in the league. That's going to be big, building chemistry with wide receivers. But what will set the tone, you got to figure, is going to be David Montgomery. And this guy, you know, going into his fourth season, going into the fourth year of his rookie deal, contract year where he's playing for big money at this point, where running backs, you know, they just grow on trees and they don't get a lot of big money. Uh, unless you're Derrick Henry or unless you're, you know, other um, household names and franchise players like that. But Montgomery has had solid first few seasons for the Bears. You 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 see the potential is there just in flux with, with various offensive coordinators and various personnel. I wonder, Ross, what you think is what you think is feasible as far as his stat line. I think, you know, going into this fourth year, to get a long-term contract, he's going to obviously have to get over a thousand yards. He's going to have to do double digits, touchdowns. Um, probably going to have to be a receiving threat, which he has been as well, and, and just be able to sneak out of the backfield to bail Justin Fields out to be his best friend. You know, we won't see. I, I doubt we'll see sort of the Matt Nagy, Santa Slay, and Wildcat things like that. You know, there will be some gimmicky play calling, but I don't really see Aberflus as that guy. Really, what David Montgomery's strength is 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 running after the contact, right? He led the league, I think, in, in rushing yards after the first hit, something like that. I believe he's he's in the top 10 of, of running backs, you know, that have been active in the time that he has been active right now. So you know what the expectations are. Uh, you can kind of surmise what you will, but what do you think, Ross? Yeah, I mean, listen, I, you know, I think he's going to continue to be the bell cow for the football team. He's going to be able to continue to churn those those tough yards out and, and being able to kind of uh, take a lot of pressure off of Justin Fields, off of the offensive, uh, uh, you know, offensive line, uh, taking a lot of pressure off of the, the passing game as well. I don't consider David to be a highly explosive football player. I think he's just, you know, very consistent kind of blue collar, keep the chains moving kind of guy and I expect that from him. Um, so I expect him to still finish the season in the area of, you know, seven, 800 yards on the ground and have close to eight or nine touchdowns. Um, you know, whether he'll be a, a weapon or not in the passing game, well, you know, that remains to be seen. I hope he is. I, I think he is a, a, a solid receiver. Um, but I also think that they're going to uh, put, uh, you know, Valuz Jones in the in the backfield a lot.
and line him up back there and kind of you know move him around and, and get him some touches out the backfield and get him some mismatches very much like we see uh, Cordell Patterson get right now in, with the Falcons and Debo Samuel with the 49ers. I also think that David Montgomery is going to um, – you know, see a lot of his snaps cut down due to to, um, to Khalil Herbert. I think Khalil Herbert is an emerging, young, explosive player. You you kind of hit on the head. Um, it's usually not great practice to to pay running backs a, a big second year contract uh, or a big you know second time contract uh, on the way around. And if if the Bears and, and Ryan Poles don't really want to invest long term in, in David Montgomery. Well, why wouldn't they kind of lean a little bit more on Khalil Herbert knowing that they have him on a rookie deal for a little bit longer period of time? And I think you're going to see them uh, transition Herbert more into the offense because I do think he's a more explosive football player and he's got more of that home run ability than uh, David Montgomery does. Yeah, you saw Herbert have extended workload last season and had some good games for himself. So to have that competition going into and and the bears drafted a a running back in the sixth round it should be mentioned as well Mm -hmm. just for sake of of competition and again these guys you know they grow on trees they get injured it's it's tough it's one of the toughest positions in terms of injury and as far as expectations and to make your mark and to to have a long-term contract like that it's very tough so i'm curious to see how montgomery is used and curious to see his his output and how he fits in with this uh, new offense and and how he fits into Matt Averflus's game plan as a whole. And again, going back to the offensive line, I think you hit it on the head with Dakota Dozier, Ross. Now you, if you're Averflus, you, you look around the league and you see if there's another sort of younger vet out there, if you can fill out this line. I know that you did draft a lot of depth in the draft back in April. So these guys got to fight it out come training camp and you'll see firsthand how it's going to pan out really. Uh, but I'm not sure that, you know, outside of Dakota Dozier, you look at that interior has just been kind of a mess. Not to say that the that the tackle position has been any better, um, but that's going to be very telling for the production of David Montgomery going forward too. It is, and and I think that's the the one group that you hope really comes together sooner than later, and you hope five guys emerge uh, at the start of training camp. I think right now the Bears have a lot of um, – it's projected to be one of the worst offensive lines in football. They've got a lot of young, uh, you know, inexperienced guys on there. They've got guys coming off an of injury like Tevin Jenkins was most of last year. And, and you know, Larry Borum was was kind of a late, uh, you know, entry into the starting lineup last season as a rookie. Um, and so, you know, you've got a lot of – but, you know, Ryan Poles did invest a lot in, in the draft as well. And, and you saw like Braxton Jones get a ton of snaps – uh, at left tackle at, in minicamp. He's a rookie coming into this. Um, so there, there are no household names on that offensive line, but I think there are some guys that could flash. And, and most importantly, if they can come together and play at least average football, I think that's a big win for the Bears. And obviously a big win uh, to keep your, your quarterback upright, but then also for the running game. Because I do think the Bears are going to want to run the football a lot, no matter who's in the backfield. I think you're going to see multiple guys in the backfield get a lot of touches out there. And I think they're going to want to use the play action a lot and get Justin Fields on the move. And you need those offensive linemen to be uh, you know, very athletic and cohesive to be able to run that. Yeah, no question about that. And again, in the abyss, kind of just stretching for headlines at this point across the league. But, you know, stay tuned as far as the Bears go. And just obviously, like you said, Ross, hopefully these younger guys – uh, take care of themselves and, and don't get into any sort of trouble, any any sort of uh, mm-hmm. speeding tickets, anything stupid like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as far as young guys concerned, it, it was interesting. One of the headlines I read today was about Torrey Smith talking about how, you know, a lot of these rookies have to go and, and buy the vets dinner. And, and that's a long t- standing tradition, these $50,000 dinners. And you heard Tom Brady you know, would show up and he would order the most expensive, like a $5,000 bottle of wine, take a sip and then leave. Just wasteful shit like that. Where do you side on on the rookie dinners like that? I think, it, and what Torrey Smith's, you know, what he was arguing was exactly right. If you've seen Broke or you've seen any sort of, a lot of these NFL players, I mean, obviously they come into a lot of money, but they're not taught money management, so they just blow through it. Uh, if they have not as long term of a career, we'll get to Gronk and how he spent his money in a moment, too. But yeah, where do you side on that? Yeah, I completely agree with Torrey Smith. And it's awesome because he got it from 
uh, a veteran, a damn good veteran in Anquan Bolden, who was yeah. who was an awesome wide receiver in this league. And Anquan was the guy that said, hey, look, man, it needs to stop. And I completely agree. Um, you know, a lot of these guys come into the league, you know, by the time they're, you know, they get their rookie deal, they sign that, but you got to pay the agent, you got to buy the house, you got to buy mama a house, you got to buy yourself a car, you've got to get, you know, situated. And, you know, what turned into $5 million or even $750,000, you look up and, and you've got pennies left. And um, and so to to take an entire football team out to Ruth Chris or something like that for a dinner and spend seventy five thousand dollars, that's just absurd. And I, I, I don't get it. I, I don't get the whole hazing thing and, and the rookie thing. I, I, I think, you know, sometimes, um, you know, it's fun in, in high school and, and maybe even a little bit in college. But, you know, when you're in the NFL, you're, you're a professional like we don't you don't ever get a job at, a, at accounting and make Barbara go out and buy everybody freshie for lunch or something like that. Or, you know, it's like it's it's absurd. Like, like, let's have to be professionals. You can have fun. I think just think that you should have fun in a different way. I'm all for rookies carrying the veterans pads at the end of practice or filling up the water bottles or washing a guy's car or something fun like that. But when it comes to actually tangible money. And, and maybe forcing a guy to, uh, to to spend a ton of money, I'm not in favor of that. Um, I'm also not in favor of Trevor Lawrence uh, converting uh, some of his bonus uh, his bonus check into cryptocurrency. That is just an absolute absolute nightmare of a decision there. Poor poor decision making from QB one. Well, especially right now, didn't OBJ do that last year? Didn't right. he want his his one year deal in crypto? He did. That's, he, he did. He did. That's their so, decision may not be a good one. These financial advisors got to do a lot better if you're telling these guys to, to take some of these checks in cryptocurrency right now. You might as well be uh, be passing out monopoly money in some cases. <laughs> exactly. Just here's an NFT, and <laughs> then you won't get any. <laughs> yeah, seventy five thousand dollars on a dinner for veteran teammates. That's a, that's an example that Jets wide receiver Garrett, Wil Garrett Wilson was talking about and had to foot the bill for that. And these guys don't make a ton of money that first year at all. It's one thing to do. Some sort of, uh, you know, like you said, carrying pads is one thing or pranking a rookie, something like that. But to, to have them foot the bill is just absurd and stupid, like especially the NFL these days, because you get fined 50 grand for wearing the wrong colored cleats, something like that. It's mm -hmm. pretty dumb. Uh, talking about Gronk, Gronk, I, I heard uh, with the news of his retirement, he didn't spend any of his salary money. He's, of course, Gronk has had a ton of endorsements over the years. He does, what does he do, do the, uh, I don't know, the veteran shit like that he's done aarp or whatever he's done dunkin donuts he's done you know between tampa and between his time with new england he has had many many deals but as far as gronk's resume goes you know if this is indeed his actual retirement the man probably you put him up there with tony gonzalez and guys the likes of that as far as the best resume of all time of a tight end uh, antonio gates too like He's on that Mount Rushmore, and he might be the GOAT tight end because in his prime, I was watching highlights of him in New England with Brady and, and what he did to elevate Brady's career. Like Brady obviously has had a ton of weapons over the years. None was as dangerous as Rob Gronkowski. He had Randy Moss, impressive. Julian Edelman, your boy, Ross. Not as impressive as Rob Gronkowski in his prime, uh, an all-pro for sure. And to go to Tampa with Brady, I mean, just the connection between those two and his personality, just unbelievable. But the run after the catch stuff and how he would just handle the football, like not even tuck it, just just go around guys like that and lead towards the end zone, made some phenomenal grabs. Uh, the guy's a meatball, but really just, again, clearly – good money management and and one of the best tight ends we'll ever see you know we're we're lucky we get to see guys like i feel like travis kelsey has earned that nickname kind of baby gronk at this point and george kittle uh guys like that are just really impressive and they set the mold of a guy like gronkowski and so if he's gone he'll, he'll be missed too because he was a hilarious personality uh for sure on and off the field Terrific football player. He's the best tight end I've ever seen in my lifetime. I, I, I put him nice. on that list, obviously, with Tony Gonzalez. I was able to see uh, Shannon Sharp play for a long time with the Denver Broncos. He was awesome. You mentioned to Antonio Gates, uh, who was a phenomenal uh, tight end as well. I never got to see guys like um, like Keller Winslow uh, Sr. 
Uh, I got to see his son play, who's not as good, but I, I didn't get to see Kellen Winslow Sr. play. I heard he was uh, obviously a phenomenal tight end. You know, Chicago's own Mike Dicka is in the Hall of Fame as a tight end as well. Um, but Gronk was the best to me because he was the best um, all-around tight end you know I've ever seen. He was a phenomenal blocker. I think a lot of people forget that. The guy, if you put, he would line up in line and just be an absolute terror, especially those New England years as a blocker. And then the, the guy would just take an absolute punishment going up and down the field, catching these passes. And, and he would deliver the punishment too. He was an amazing red zone target. And obviously you hit it on the head there. You know, it was, it was truly um, a genius visionary at the time for Bill Belichick to go out there and get Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez at the same time. If we, if we remember, those are two tight ends with two completely different guys. And, you know, that was a, he kind of made a trend that I think we see a lot of today, which is kind of like these hybrid, you know, big guys that you could put them both on the football field at the same time. I think that's what Travis Kelsey does very well now. Travis Kelsey's not as good of a blocker as Rob Gronkowski, but he's uh, at the receiving end. He kind of reminds me of a, of a hybrid on offense of, of Gronk and Aaron Hernandez. So, um, you know, shout out to Gronk. I, I didn't think he would last this long. I think that year off or so really did his body some good, and he was able to come back and, and give Tampa Bay, uh, you know, something and, and give them their Super Bowl ring. I think that um, him being hurt in the Super Bowl um, that they lost to the second Super Bowl to the Giants – and he was hurt in that Super Bowl. I think that was a big reason why the Patriots lost that football game. You could just tell he didn't quite have it. And, you know, Brady was having to rely on, you know, the West Walkers of the world and the guys who weren't that good. I think if Gronk is healthy in that Super Bowl, then they the Patriots get, get an even another ring, you know. So, um, you know, definitely first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, He's, you know, obviously uh, uh, he, a lot of people like to think of him as a, as a big dumb jock. But like you said, he's a guy who's he's saved his money. He's been smart in, 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 in his opportunities outside of football. He was doing stuff with Fox. He reminds me of, a lot of uh, Marshawn Lynch in that way. Um, and I expect him to have a very uh, lucrative career going forward. He can be in the Expendables Part 7. He can be on, on WWE. He could, you know. He can host a, a, one of those stupid TV shows on, on ABC where they jump off of like little balls and splash into the water or something like that. He's going to he's just going to work and he's always going to be uh, in our lives for the rest of for, uh, for the rest of his life. And, you know, he, he, shout out to him for, for doing that. And also shout out to his mom who there's like four Gronkowskis and she's out of them, man. She popped them all out, and, and she raised those boys. And I can imagine them just beating the shit out of each other at home every single day and going through probably six gallons of milk a week and the loaves of bread and stuff like that. So shout out to that woman. She's a saint. Um, she deserves everything that she has as well and everything that's also coming to her still. Absolutely. That that family has certainly capitalized off the, the Gronkowski names, uh, rise to fame at this point. I feel like they do a cruise every year too, and it's like sponsored by Bud Light and just ridiculous and, and debauchery yeah you you talked about gronk and his future in media he'll he'll be hosting family feud who knows he'll, he'll be succeeding steve harvey but i'm curious at, to see I, I feel like there's a lot of speculation now that he is quote unquote retired for good as to where he will land if he goes to fox he seems like a fox guy to me but yeah. just to go and and be on the sidelines or to be you know providing any sort of commentary we know that tom brady as soon as he retires he'll He'll be in the booth, good or bad, but Gronk would, would be hilarious. He'd have to censor himself, too. Him and Marshawn, very similar in that sense, where they would have to uh, censor themselves as well. But 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 quite a career, and you talked about his injury struggles. Like, Gronk seemed indestructible a lot of times, but had various arm injuries, and, and you know, it was hell on his legs, and going up, you know, across the middle against the toughest guys in the league and, and beating corners and, and getting tackled by it you know, those guys is just hell on your body. So, so kudos to him. And, and you know, when you're, you know, especially now in this day and age, guys are retiring earlier and earlier, you know, when it's time. And he, he pretty much knew when it was time. I don't know if Tom Brady knows when it's time, but Gronkowski did. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I, it's, it shows you how punishing the position of tight end is because I see a lot of these guys, they start to kind of fall off of a cliff a little bit after year five or six, especially when you get as physical at the position as Rob Gronkowski uh, played. So, you know, like I said earlier, for him to even last this long and you know, he would run out there at the end of his career and he has all this body armor all over his arms and just all right. this stuff. He's just all taped up with everything. He'll like Barry Bonds at the end of his career, like when he went up to bat. 
And, uh, you know, you just marvel at it because you see these guys nowadays, you know, know, we we play fantasy football by year five or six. A lot of these guys are falling off a cliff offensively and they're not even putting up numbers anymore. So, you know, shout out to him. And now you start to wonder, you know, Travis Kelsey is the next guy up, right? He's the next, uh, um, you know, big dog at that position now. How much more time does he have to play at a high level? You know, luckily he doesn't play as physical as Rob Gronkowski, so he could probably last a little bit longer. Yeah, you would think so. That that's a, a question, you know, where Gronkowski is gone, who's gonna sort of step up? And yeah, it would seem that Kelsey is that guy for sure. He's he's that difference maker. And Kittle I mentioned too, uh just super impressive players and and set the mold for for that tight end position where you're basically putting up the same numbers as wide receivers. You can block though too. That's, it's even better at this point. And, you know, unfortunate news, Ross, you're talking about Tony Siragusa dying that, that broke earlier today. And 55 is certainly way too young. Uh, you know, part of the, as it's at the bottom of your screen, Baltimore Ravens, Super Bowl winning team in 2001. Uh, and it was Jamal Lewis, who was his teammate who confirmed it. That's tough. Uh, you know, the guy was was very large, but, you know, gone too soon for sure. I know I remember certainly him being mic'd up for those moments, too, during the Ravens Super Bowl and, and being a big part of that team and, and how I, th- I think coming up, there's a 30 for 30 with the Ravens Super mm-hmm. Bowl run, if yes. I'm not mistaken. Yep. So that he's definitely going to be a part of that where they're, you know, that, that sort of team that is after like one of the great defenses of the leagues of the 85 bears and, and talk about in that mold. And then his contributions after football, after his playing career and going into the Fox uh, studios and, and contributing there, it was just a big personality. He, he was just a fun guy. And I, I definitely enjoyed him. I think, you know, the goose nickname was, was great. And, and you could kind of love or hate him, but you certainly appreciated what he brought to the table. Absolutely. I mean, he's, um, you know, he reminds me of, you know, like you said, those those big space heaters that we had a lot more in common back then. It was like Tony Saragusa, it was like Vince Wolfork, right, for the uh, yeah. for the New England Patriots. The Bears had um, uh, um, uh, track the trailer, right, when they had those big guys up front as well. Um, so, you know, it's really sad. It's sad to see anybody pass away at, at 55 years old, but, you know, especially somebody that has been in our life for a period of time, like Saragusa was, who's a fun, awesome football player, big personality. Um, moved on to the media side of things. I thought he had a good run at Fox. I was surprised that, that he um, you know, he didn't keep it going. He's in one of my favorite movies of all time, which is The 25th Hour, which is a Spike Lee movie with that stars Edward Norton, um, which is an amazing, amazing film. If you if you guys watch it, he plays a bouncer in the movie for um, – uh, no, he plays like a, like a mob guy or something like that in the, in the movie for a short period of time. But, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, just a fun, fun guy. It, it sucks, man. The Ravens had uh, two big blows today because they had one of their, uh, you know, defensive end uh, slash linebackers. Who, Jalen Ferguson, who, yeah. Yes, yeah, who's tragically passed away as well. So, you know, prayers to the Ravens uh, family today and, and prayers, prayers to those two gentlemen's, uh, you know, friends and family as well. It, it's just that's news that you never want to hear from a 25-year-old young man to a 55-year-old young man. It's just absolutely you know, awful, you know. You never know, right? You never do. Uh, you know, we don't want to end on a somber note. The NFL nope. talk, though, there's a, there's a ton of speculation as far as offseason moves that still could happen. As far as the big thing is the Browns right now and what, whatever the hell is going on with that and Deshaun mm-hmm. Watson settling outside of uh, court with all these these women that have come forward with these allegations. And then Baker Mayfield, of course, requesting his trade. That's just one example. There's still a ton of teams that need to make a big splash and there's still some uncertainty as far as free agents. Is there a move out there that, that sticks out to you, Ross, that you'd like to see a team make? Well, I mean, the two things for me is, you know, like you, you hit it on the head. We haven't talked a lot about the Deshaun Watson stuff for obvious reasons. It's, it's creepy. It's uncomfortable. It's, we don't it's gross. know it's gross. what's true. What's not true. You know, it, it's, it's not something that a lot of people want to hear about, but eventually we are all going to have to, have a conversation about it and most importantly the nfl is going to have to have a conversation about it in terms of what they're going to do with watson are you going to suspend him for a full season are you going to suspend him for 10 games i mean worse you know how how is this going to come down and when is this going to come down i I think we should hear an announcement on that fairly soon probably before we do another show here because you know after him settling the 20 out of 24 cases i think uh we should kind of get some more light on that but 
you know, if he's suspended for a year, hypothetically, what do the Browns do? You know, Baker Mayfield told you he doesn't want to be there anymore. And Josina Anderson reported today, Seahawks are still very much interested in Baker Mayfield. They're even interested in giving him a, a long-term deal if they're able to work out a trade for him. And, you know, th- that kind of leaves the Browns in a really tough spot because they went all in for this season with some free agent moves and, and some, some different moves to, and to, to go out there. And uh, it would be really tough if, 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 you know, if they can't have Deshaun Watson on the field. I don't feel bad for them. I, I feel like what they did and, and how they gave him the money is, is, is really freaking gross. So they kind of deserve it. But from a pure football standpoint, the Watson domino is huge. And then from there is what's going on with Baker Mayfield. Is he staying in Cleveland? Is he going to Seattle? And then number three, for me, you still have Jimmy Garoppolo out in San Francisco, who is going to be ready to throw football again in about a month and a half. He's coming off a shoulder injury and he's still on that team. Is he going to Carolina or is he not going to Carolina? Is he staying in San Francisco? If he stays in San Francisco, does that make it a really weird situation for Trey Lance that's there and they want him Trey Lance to take over? But what if Jimmy Garoppolo outplays him in training camp? It's all just really weird and, and kind of, you know, all over the place. You know, other moves, we don't know what's going on with Odell. You know, Odell is still rehabbing yeah. a 20 ACL that he had in the Super Bowl. So I don't expect Odell to be ready to play any kind of meaningful football until probably closer to week six or maybe a little bit later than that. But a team could definitely use Odell Beckham in a really long season post week six, right? You're looking at maybe are, are the Green Bay Packers keeping an eye on him? Um, would he go back to the Rams on a, on a cheap deal or something like that? Or, or would he go somewhere else? So, you know, that's another guy who's kind of lingering out there right now, just kind of like you're, you're watching and seeing what's going on. What if Tom no, Brady just, just called him and say, hey, Odell, I just, right. just, just stay home and then show up in Tampa in week eight, and that's really when I need you. You know, or in Rogers. Yeah, sure. Some sure. team will pay him in crypto again. We <laughs> talked about the free agents and and I think that obviously Odell Beckham Jr. is, is headlining that. But there's a ton of offensive tackle talent, too. And, and Dwayne Brown and mm-hmm. Riley Reef, Eric Fisher, guys like that. Dante Hightower's out there. So, you know, mm-hmm. these guys could still make moves at some point soon. But that that Brown situation is so odd. And, and when you think of this franchise, I was suddenly turning the corner I, I was never a Mayfield fan, uh, but, it, you know, especially Watson, too, with this. It just seems like the Browns are just kind of cursed to an extent. You think the Bears are. Look at the Browns organization as well. So we'll have to monitor that and tune in next week to see what we have to say about that. Switch focus to the NBA, Ross. And we got a new champ, an old new champ. They did it before Kevin Durant. They did it during Kevin Durant. And they did it after Steph and Clay and Draymond, very impressive, man. When you figure they had called this from the start, and of course they did because they've been there before. And it was a good series. I think hats go off to the Celtics. They were just overmatched by that three-headed monster that I mentioned. And then the lottery pick and Andrew Wiggins, I think, obviously Jordan Poole and Gary Payton Jr. These this franchise just develops talent so well and has run so well. You figure how they were able to talk about what I just did handle getting that personality and that player in Kevin Durant and then bottom of the league after that and then rebounding and making a run like this is probably their most impressive championship yet. You figure they were loaded before and and they were in the same breath as the, the heats of the world and all these superstar laden teams. This core has stayed together and you put throw Iguodala in there and whoever else who's, who's kind of stayed over and Steve Kerr, what he's done with this team, nothing short of amazing. I, I think this elevates Curry certainly into the conversation of, of one of those best players of all time. He's already the best shooter of all time uh, in terms of accomplishments. I think that series was what we expected. I did call Warriors in six, went to that. I think we were all robbed of the game seven on, on Father's Day, though, for whatever reason. Draymond stayed so petty. It was great to see. But I'd say first, too, Ross, you know, regarding that championship, where does this leave Steph Curry? He's in the top 10 players. Is he in the top 10 players of all time, or where where is he at for you right now? He's in my top 10 of all time. So I was going through it the other day. My top 10 has... Um, let me see if I can remember this uh, off the top of my uh, head. Here we go. He's got Jordan, LeBron, Bill Russell, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, right? 
Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Tim Duncan, and then Wilt Chamberlain. And then I got to put Kobe, and then I got to put Steph Curry. That's my top 10. And, you know, he, he sneaks in there. You have to put him in there. You have to consider this a fringe dynasty of, of what he's done. Um, and, and you kind of hit it on the head for me. In a player, in the player empowerment era, this is the guy that stayed in Golden State his entire time and went through the ups and downs of that, of that whole situation, organization. Think about his early ankle injuries that he had. Think about... You know, the, the stuff that Clay has gone through the last two years of his career and, you know, the, the getting Kevin Durant to losing the Kevin Durant, the losing the 73 and nine season, the, you know, but coming back and doing this is just super impressive. I mean, the guy was in a playoff. He, they were in the playing game last year and they lost the playing game to, to the Lakers. Right. And all of a sudden he's an yeah. NBA. They're all they're NBA champions a year later. Right. And remember the year before that, he missed most of the year with a hand injury. Um, so it's just really impressive. Um, I just read a stat on, on Twitter right now that he has the, the, the largest playoff win. Uh, he's got the best playoff win record of all time for a player. Um, that is impressive within itself. Um, it, you know, what was the most impressive to me was that you could tell that he heard the noise, um, which I thought was absurd, but he heard it and he didn't shy away from it. And he made everybody um, say his name at the end of that series. And he was as fired up as I've ever seen him as a career. He's barking at the crowd in Boston. He's hitting dagger threes from half court, and he's talking to win shit. game six in Boston. Oh, my goodness. The game four, that Friday night game, he was insane. Yeah. It, was, it was one of the best playoff performance, championship performances I've ever seen in my lifetime. And for him to do that, he has to – he belongs in that pantheon now of, of best players. And, you know, shout out to Clay, who didn't quite have it. He's his first year back, but he still battled his ass off. Shout out to Draymond, who was up and down the entire senior series, but I thought he was absolutely awesome in game six. It was a big reason why they won that basketball game. And, you know, Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr has eight rings now, I believe, which is just impressive for as a player coach. Um, and the scary thing to me is Golden State um, very much so could be there next year because I don't see Steph Curry no slowing question. down. I think Clay Thompson gets better with a full offseason of rest and recovery and being able to work on his craft again. Um, but, you know, most importantly, they got these young guys. Jordan Poole is only going to get better. Gary Payton II is only, is only going to get better, right? They have, they have uh, they, they still have Wiseman, who was the second overall pick from a couple of years ago, who missed his whole year with injury. Like, Just all of a sudden, you throw in an athletic seven-footer that can knock down jump shots and stuff like that. Like, this team, Kaminga is going to be a stud when he kind of figures it all out. So, you know, there's no reason why Steph and that whole nucleus can't win another ring or two. And if he starts tying Kobe – and magic and he starts creeping up on jordan with like number six you're like oh shit like this guy he might go down as like top five to seven of all time it's going to get really interesting uh the next couple of years and you know that organization that's what they're going for of course we mentioned yeah. it on a previous show about how they really resembled the spurs i feel like keeping a core together and then you get Kawhi, and then you try to prepare for life after him and and very important players like that for lack of a better term and yeah you you talk about curry being ranked in the top 10 he's got to be up there I've, I've absolutely with the top players of all time and certainly you put him in that conversation with jordan and Shaq and kobe and these guys who have a lot of accomplishments and and i think the big debate now is where he is at and where he is compared to it is in terms of him and LeBron. Like, is this the LeBron era or is this the Steph era? Mm -hmm. And they've, they've shared the spotlight. They've traded championships for the past decade. It feels like right. um, outside of, you know, a couple outliers in there. It, it's incredibly impressive. And, and how this team has come together, came together to win a championship. Clay Thompson. Sure. Sure. He didn't have the best finals, but certainly rebounded big time from Having that ACL injury, I know he was hugging. One of the first people he hugged was uh, his trainer and one, one, one of the lead physicians of the Golden State Warriors staff. They're just so well run from top to bottom. You just really have to be green with envy if you're any other organization in this league. And Steve Kerr, I think heck goes off to him. I think, you know, certainly I, I don't put a paramount on coaching as much as a lot of other leagues, but it makes a huge difference, especially when you see in the finals here guys from the Popovich coaching tree 
and guys who know exactly how to manage personalities, which is a big thing. And in the smaller roster size, it just gets that much tougher, I feel like, to an extent. But it was hilarious to see Draymond and Steph and Clay celebrate once again. And you got to figure again with James Weissman and with these young guys coming up to provide some uh, help for Steph and for Clay and for Draymond, for these guys to try and run it back. They're you know, wonky bucks are the odds on favorite be- between them and Warriors, as you see it uh, at the bottom of your screen here. But I, I would be hard pressed not to really see these warriors run it back because they've just been there before, which, which means so much. And I think there's a lot of, even during the finals talk was all about the Lakers was all about the off season for LeBron. And why not, why, why not focus on Steph at this point? It, it's, it's crazy to me that he w- wasn't getting the same spotlight as a LeBron James. And I get it. LeBron James is still the face of the league. He's, he's getting, the comparisons to Jordan, he, he can break the all-time leading scorers list next year and uh, overtake Kareem. But Steph is, is getting up there, too, in that conversation of owning this era and I, setting the tone for the era with, with shooters, too. I mean, I mean, everybody's trying to be like Steph at this point. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that LeBron James is still the better player, in my opinion. I think he's the second greatest player of all time. Um, but I think it's safe to say that Steph Curry has had the better past 10 years and, and has been the better player uh, over the last decade. I think we forget LeBron's been in the league for 20 years now, you know? Um, so he, he's had like two separate careers, it feels like. Um, you know, Steph has revolutionized the game in a way that I don't think that, you know, we'll ever see again probably, or he, he's changed it for a way, you know, for in a way that it's going to take a long time to maybe revert back to something else. Um, and, he, you know, he's just such a likable guy. I, I don't understand how anybody could, not like Steph Curry. He's, he's a fun basketball player. He does everything the right way. He, he's electric on the court. He's a good family man. He you know he loves his kids and, and 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 stuff like that. And he stayed in one spot the entire time. I think the whole Bay Area would would you know walk past it. They'd walk on the Golden Gate Bridge the whole time for for Steph Curry. That's how much they love him there. And, and I think that in this kind of sports era, where you know where a lot of t- teams and and, fan, and, and Fans don't really get attached to one guy because they tend to leave pretty quickly. It's really cool to see that and to see a guy who walks that good fine line of being like cocky petty, but still being very humble and, and very skilled and, and, and very uh, appreciative of everything and all his accomplishments that have come to him. Riley Curry still should be like four years old to me. It's, it's just crazy to see. He's going up so fast. And Curry, for, like Steph himself too. He's 34 now and – it's insane the the accomplishments he's had and and the hype and everything to go again back to the bottom of the league and then to rebound like that and and basically retool completely around the three guys and and him and Draymond and Clay it's incredibly impressive and and hopefully we'll see talking about LeBron and the Lakers hopefully we see these two teams have some great clashes come uh, this next basketball season and so now we're in the off season Ross mm-hmm. On the Bulls tip, yep. I know you're really into potentially shopping that number 18 pick and maybe a Kobe White thrown in there and getting someone like a John Collins or getting someone established. Because at 18, hey, who knows at that point uh, who's going to hit. I think there's a lot of names be, being thrown out there. But what's the likelihood that we see a trade, in, in your opinion? I, I mean – I think it's going to be pretty good. You know, it's tough to really trade. I feel like in the NBA draft, I think, um, you know, on the surface, everybody wants to to trade picks and stuff like that. It never quite materializes. It's it's very rare that we get uh, a ton of draft day trades. We'll get a couple sprinkled in there, but it's rare. Uh, You know, we did see Jeremy Grant get traded earlier today, but that was for a 2025 um, first round pick. He's going to Portland now. You know, the Bulls have a decision to make because it's like on one side, are you going to try and go all in and get a guy like Rudy Gobert um, who, you know, can really be a game changer on defense, but doesn't provide you much on offense? And, and, you know, don't you need some offensive talent? But, you know, Gobert is, you know, defensive player of the year multiple times. Um, you know, he, he fixes a, a need as a rim running pr- uh, protector for, for the Bulls as well. But it's probably going to cost you Vooch and Patrick Williams and maybe a first round pick. Right. And is that a lot to give up for a guy like that who also is going to make over 40 million dollars a year coming up really soon? 
Or do you call, like you said, Atlanta and, and see if you could pry John Collins out, who's more of a, uh, a hybrid power forward, small forward, who can kind of score and shoot from everywhere in the court uh, and provide you with a lot of spacing and offense and stuff like that. And, you know, what's it going to take to pry him out of there? I, I would like to see the Bulls do something. I, I don't think that you can just run this team back next year and think that automatically you're going to be able to be uh, any more than probably a fifth seed in the Eastern Conference, especially because Milwaukee, you know, is going to reload. They're going to get better. They're pissed off. I don't know what the hell Brooklyn's going to do, but Brooklyn's going to do something, you know, even if it's just running it back with a full-time Kyrie Irving. Boston's going to get better. Philly's going to get better. All these teams are going to get better, and so the Bulls have to do something. Um, in terms of the draft tomorrow, I still think packaging Kobe White in the 18th pick overall is something that they're going to lean heavily, you know, towards. Um, you know, my backup plan is probably calling the Knicks, who really want to get Jalen Brunson, uh, you know, on a you know on a offer sheet to to New York, but they got to clear some cap space, so the Bulls might take on Alec uh, Alec Burks, who's a uh, defender and, and a shooter as well, and take on his contract. And maybe the the Bulls can get back like the eleventh overall pick, which would be uh, pretty cool as well. So I expect uh, our tourist kind of Silvers and, and Mark Eversley to be active tomorrow night. I think we're going to see some fireworks throughout the draft. I, I think it's going to be fun. I, I think right now, you know, one two one two three is probably set with Jabari Smith, Chet Holmgren, and uh, Paolo uh, Banchero. But I think after that, at number four, it gets really interesting. Jay Nyree is is the best guy on the board, but he doesn't want to go to Sacramento. Who's, who the hell wants to go to Sacramento? <laughs> so what's Sacramento going to do? Are they going to take him and, and pair him with uh, another point guard that they have in De'Aaron Fox? Or are they going to try and trade out of that pick and maybe get a, 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 a star player that wants to come out? That's where things get really interesting tomorrow night. And it'll be interesting to see how the how the Bulls factor in. I, I, I love NBA draft night. It's always a lot of excitement. Um, yeah. Adam Already Silver, great happening. Yeah, Adam Silver will, should be back there tomorrow. Yeah, I think he got COVID the same time you got COVID. Maybe you guys were together in Vegas. So, uh, it's, it's he was at fun. the Peppermint Hippo with me. <laughs> <laughs> Adam, buy me a lap dance. <laughs> I, I don't know where I side with the Bulls and, and trading that pick. And I know you mentioned, we've both mentioned Kobe White at, at nauseum, but also Patrick Williams has been thrown out there. They need someone. I feel like a bolstering in the front court is certainly what they need. With Vucevic, that's that's a tough situation, and and what to do with him in this offseason. It seems like the Bulls will be stuck with him. But also, looking at eighteen, there's guys who who made deeper runs into March Madness last year, as far as Mark Williams and Tari Eason and and Ochai Abaji and, and guys like that that might drop as far as eighteen for bulls uh but then you could get someone just completely unproven from like santa clara or someone like that but as far as what this team needs i think you're a big john collins guy i i i just think that they need a breath of fresh air in the front court i think they're very set as far as you know looking at demar Derozan and zach levine just making those guys happy is going to be super important but you look around the league you need a guy like that unless you're the Golden State Warriors, in, in the case that we just talked about, you need a guy who who can certainly facilitate the offense, and hopefully you'd you'd, you'd see Patrick Williams as that guy and develop into this next year. But I'm not sure that the, the Bulls see him that way. We'll we'll see with this Karnasovas uh, experiment and how it, it's already paid off. You know that the off season is is where you win these championships. Yeah, and I'm looking at the mock drafts now and and certainly I, I was reading about Chet Holmgren and how he's just a freaking and seeing him at Gonzaga is one thing and seeing him play in college basketball but it's so hard for me to get behind this guy who's seven feet tall and 190 pounds and I know he's I know how skilled he is I know he can shoot and and this is the mold of big guys right now where they can all shoot threes and they're they're like Embiid and he's young He's young, which which we can't forget too. And look how Embiid jacked himself up. Look how Giannis jacked himself up too. But but Chet Holmgren, man, it was it, it was cool to read about his work ethic though, and how he will probably be a focal point of the league for the next several years, barring any injury, like a Greg Oden something like that. Which big men, it can happen to. But he's taking care of himself, and he's training. He's just draining jumpers all over the place, training out in California. I'm curious to see between him and Jamar, Jabari Smith, who is going to be that favorite to win Rookie of the Year next year when we're talking about the NBA draft. 
Yeah, you know, Chet is Chet could be Chet's such a, a highly volatile player because he could be uh, a unicorn, unlike anything we've ever seen in this league before. You kind of hit it on the head. Uh, it, could he be a package of, of, of Giannis, Al Horford, Kevin Durant? Like just a lot of thrown th- things that have been thrown out there. And the guy could shoot. He can dribble. He can uh, he can rebound. He can defend the rim. But he's he's tiny. He's gonna have to bulk up. But I mean, we've seen guys bulk up. Right? Like you said. Go look at Giannis Antetokounmpo on draft night. That kid was skinny as a rail, and and you know he oh, yeah. he's 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 ripped now, right? Even a guy like Kevin Durant, who still looks really slender to this day, but you know he's put a little bit of size on him. We've seen guys like Kevin Garnett come into the league a long time ago, uh, very slender as well. So you know, Chet can fill out. Chet can get to even two twenty, two twenty five, which should be should be no problem for a young guy like that. He's just a completely different basketball player, right? And, and so I know OKC is, is really wanting him, but on the flip side of it, this is a wing-dominated league. We you know we just saw it in the NBA Finals, right? And, and the Celtics get to the finals with two very good wing players. Um, you know, most of the players that are, are really good in this league are six to six six to six nine, right? Steph Curry is an anomaly. Most guys fall into that range, and guess who falls into that range? That's Jabari Smith, and he's an elite scorer. He can he can handle the basketball. He can rise up and shoot over anybody. He's got a jump shot very similar to Kevin uh, Durant's style. And, and, and do you take that guy in Orlando? You know, Orlando needs a a, a somebody to to really step up and and be the man in that city because they have not had a star player down there in a really, really long time, probably since Pete Dwight Howard. And before that, you're going to have to go back to like the Shaquille O'Neal days and Anthony Hardaway days. So, you know, can, can, is it Jabari or is it Chet? I feel like Jabari is a good, a better fit for Orlando to be that just, you know, score that can put the ball in the hole. And I think Chet is a really good fit in OKC as a Gonzaga guy going to OKC. That's probably a better fit for him. They have like 35 first round picks coming up. So they can let Chet just kind of develop and grow into his own and continue to, to, to build through the draft. And you know, OKC might have something in about four or five years. Yeah, no question there. Both both players look like they'll be that future for sure. But Chet Holmgren, I'm, I'm still, I don't know. It was how thin he is, and he's very skilled, but we got to get him on the same uh, training plan that Giannis and, and Joel Embiid are on right now. A hundred percent. Ross, we're running out of show. I, yep. I got to lead with this, man. So you got a thing for Rachel Ray I read here on Twitter. <laughs> you were looking at the person you're most attracted to, whom you would be humiliated to let your friends know is hot. And I have racked my brain around that for like the last hour trying to think of my own answer for that. Rachel Ray's... Yeah. Like, most of those, those cooking girls like Jada the original tweet said they had to be like a like a six on the one to ten scale. I feel like Rachel <laughs> Ray is a solid six. Other couple other names I was thinking about today was like like Hillary Swank is probably a, a solid six. Kristen yeah. Wiig, Tina Fey is probably in that category as well, right? Like just just solid sixes, right? And that's no shame, but beautiful yeah. personalities. Oh, look at this! Yeah, All of them pulled up Rachel Ray. Like this, Rachel Ray is not. I don't know. I don't know how old Rachel Ray is now, <laughs> but she can throw it down in the kitchen. You know yeah. that that always adds to the the appeal. Of Listen, the opposite sex in my eyes. Young Rachel Ray was was not bad. And she, I think Rachel she was married Ray. to a rock star at some point before they got a divorce. So, yeah. uh, you Jada, know, some, Jada did it for me and her yeah. little T Rex arms and how yeah. she would she would speak in just perfect English and like. And now we're going to go and get the pancetta and like just yep. throw in the very Italian names. And uh, she has a restaurant in Vegas now too. Yep. <laughs> <Just love laughs> Uh, you know, as far as anything else in pop culture, are you digging the house music boom here, Ross, with Drake, your boy Drake and Beyonce? And I also don't uh, I have questions about Drake's album in general, but <laughs> I, I I like the house music. Certain things like, you know, I, I think Drake, I'm torn because he's really more of, of a pop musician mm-hmm. at this point than he was a rapper. And, mm-hmm. and pivot, man, make that money. That's fine. That's but then he also throws in a song with 21 Savage at the end that was like, why the hell wasn't the whole album like this? Like this, yeah. this shit slaps. Yeah. And even like sticky, right? Sticky was a little bit like where he's rapping over house beats, which is actually a little bit, it was pretty fun too. Yeah. And the Beyonce song, like your single came out and people lost their minds. Of course. As they the typically do Beyonce. As they do. But I, I like the house music vibes, man. You know, as being, of course, you know, from Chicago here, we, we got deep house music uh, mm-hmm. roots. And so mm-hmm. I'm for it. I, I'd like to see more of it. It's funny. Yeah. I, I think that it's an interesting pivot for Drake, though, to, to go ahead and do that and Beyonce for that matter. 
Sure. And I mean, it goes to show you that, you know, the money is in um, is being if you're able to be ambiguous and, and kind of fly in between genres, then you're able to get more money. Right. And Drake just signed a four hundred million dollar deal. And so he's going to start getting a little bit more out the box, in my opinion, and start trying to hit more genres. Because if you look up, he's got the number one dance album in the world right now, the number right. one dance album, which means that he's going to get nominated in a different category for the Grammys from J. Cole and, and Kendrick Lamar. And all of a sudden, you know, he, he goes into a little bit of a different bag, which obviously is more lucrative for him. Um, I love house music. I, I mean, I grew up on, on the south side of Chicago, you know, so we're 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 Frankie Knuckles all day and, and, and guys like that. It's been fun this week to see all the, the cities try and talk about who invented house music or who did it better. The Chicago's of the world versus Jersey versus Baltimore and stuff like that. So uh, I would implore everybody to um, if you are enjoying this, this what's probably going to be a summer of new age house music. To at least go back and listen to uh, a lot of the older house music that came out in the 70s 80s and 90s um, because that stuff is is very uh entertaining um it, it will definitely keep the party going it's good like it's good like in the house like cleaning up vibes or, or getting the dinner ready vibes and stuff like that or if you got some friends over and you need some background music um you know that's pretty fun i i think drake made an album that is uh, perfect for uh, the next time you go back to Vegas and you and you walk through the Cosmopolitan lobby, you'll, yeah. you'll be hearing a lot of that album there. Or, or anytime I'm buying a, an eighty dollar polo from Zara, I'm pretty sure it'll be playing on, <laughs> be playing in the background there as well. But um, you know, true old school house music, I'm a huge fan. Yeah, no question there. I, I did watch Hustle Ross, okay. the Adam Sandler movie. I don't know if you've watched it yet. I have not watched it. Was it yet. My yeah. only regret was that, you know, it's Happy Madison. So I got to see all those guys from, right. from his movies. And he should have had Nick Swartzen thrown in there. Like, I don't know, yeah. just being some scrappy point guard or something like that. Also, being uh, Anthony Edwards was, was fun. Uh, uh-huh. It was, you know, it's a typical Adam Sandler at this point. Yeah, I, I heard that. I, you know. Yeah, his cameo. Yeah, I, I go back and forth on Adam Sandler. I actually think I probably like his silly stuff a little bit more, like when he does like the stupid movies with Jenny Aniston and stuff like that. Or sure. you know, Big, Big Daddy's probably my favorite uh, uh, Sandler. I, when he tries to go almost to full serious, I'm not a huge fan. I wasn't a big fan of Uncut Gems. Um, I, did, I did like Punch Drug Love. That's a good movie as well. But um, I watched, I, I think you hit my, my DM on my story. I watched Spiderhead last week, which is a uh, oh, yeah. uh, from the same director as Top Gun Maverick. And, and it had uh, Chris Hemsworth in it and Miles Teller. Um, very guy? much a, a kind of dystopian, kind of looked like it was a COVID a movie shot during COVID times. Um, but a real uh, fun, quick sci-fi movie if you're looking for something to kind of to watch on a Friday night, which will kind of bend your brain a little bit, but not too much where you feel like you've got to overthink it. No, right on. Yeah. Which brings us to Lightyear. You also watched that, right? Yeah, it was tough watch. Tough watch. <laughs> tough watch. Lightyear is. I've seen. I've seen just about every Pixar movie. I'm actually a huge Pixar movie fan. Um, of course, that was uh, that was mid. That was very mid Pixar. That's very. That was really bad. I, I was really disappointed uh, with that. I was I was in the theater with my son and his uh, his new best friend who lives two doors down from us now. These guys are like inseparable with each other now and. Oh, I spent $60 at a concession stand on popcorns and slushies, and I needed two antiheroes to get through Lightyear. Light <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but this one has Chris Evans now as, as the voice of the the real Lightyear. I, it, was, it was actually really confusing for me, and I'm 40 years old, so I don't even know how five-year-old can understand what the hell is going on. Um, but yeah, it, it just was not a very good movie to me. I, you know, I, I can I can see why Disney and Pixar did it because it's going to be a huge cash cow for them, and it's going to sell a ton of merchandise, and it allows them to kind of go back to an, uh, their, their most successful franchise, obviously, which is uh, top their Toy Story. We're going to go through our top five Pixar movies right now, but um, this one didn't do it for me. I actually liked a lot of the stuff that they brought to streaming over the last couple of years, like uh, like sure. Red, Red, and. and uh, Inside Out and Soul, which might be on my top five, and uh, some of the other movies as well. Yeah, Pixar usually brings it. That's disappointing to hear about Lightyear. Yeah. With with no further ado, Ross, let's go yeah. through the top five Pixar. Let's go movies. through our top five. Absolutely, with our grown ass men. Yes. <laughs> what what is number five for you? Number five for me is Soul, the aforementioned movie. If you haven't seen this movie before, this was like a COVID 
uh, watch for for us. Disney Plus threw it out there during COVID. An absolutely just amazing, amazing film. I think it's got Jamie Foxx as, as the, the star voice of it. Um, the music is unreal Tina throughout Fey's the whole movie. Tina Fey is in it. The movie is unreal. Um, it's got a lot of, um, it, it, it forces you, whether you're a child or adult, to really you know think and use your brain and kind of dig deep into, into your soul, no pun intended, and really think about some things. I, I think the, I thought the animation was, was great. It's great to see black and brown people in animated films. It's great to hear jazz music and stuff like that in animated films to bring some culture to to everybody. And um, I, I think that it's a very underrated Pixar movie because it came out during kind of COVID quarantine times. I think if it was re-released in theater today, uh, it would actually do really well. And I, I think Disney should think about that. I love Soul. Soul's very good. You know, I, the caveat should be I have just not watched a ton of these like Coco and the Red uh, yeah. Inside Out. I have not seen any of those recently. Which I, I was going to say, you know, it's kind of on my outside looking in, but like Coco is on that list and right. uh, Cars, the original Cars is on that list. Uh, you mentioned Inside Out was 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 uh, a big one for me too. But you know, the, these even the the Toy Story sequels are actually phenomenal, really phenomenal. I think one of them was nominated for Best Picture at one point. It might have been Toy Story three or Toy Story, Toy Story four, but. Um, yeah, it, you know, a lot of these, they, they just have a, a great, great uh, amount of movies. But, you know, these five, my number four for me, have you ever seen Up? Oh, of course. Number five for me, by the way, is Finding Nemo. Sorry. Up there. Yes. No, you did. Yes. Um, Albert Brooks. Yeah, absolutely. Generous. Come Albert on. Generous. yes. Fantastic. What a just journey. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Just, just keep, keep swimming. Absolutely. absolutely. Um, my number four is Up, which is, listen... If you don't cry during that montage scene of yeah. Up, I don't think you have a soul. Yeah, going back to soul again. Um, it was just an absolutely tear-jerking movie. What an amazing, amazing film. Um, it, it was like one of those movies where I think I just watched it like on a whim as a surprise. I was just like, whoa, 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 what the fuck is this? <laughs> Why is this so emotional for me right now? It's such an amazing movie. Uh, watch Up with the family or just watch it by yourself. It's a great film. That that first whatever five minutes it is is just a, a roller coaster of emotions for sure. Number four for me is The Incredibles, and we know again like most of these films have just spun off into franchises of their own, and there's mm -hmm. like five Toy Stories now, or three Incredibles, or three Monsters Inks. But this is this one set the bar, and and you know both you and I Ross love the the superhero uh, narrative of course too, and it was it was well cast, it was it was good plot to it too. So that was that's number four for me. Absolutely. My number three is uh, is the robot movie Wally. Wally. Oh, Wally. Wally is such a great movie. Really, uh, really fun. Kind of like out of nowhere, kind of dystopian movie about the last remaining uh, you know species being the robots. And you got this right. old junk robot. He's finding love. Uh, Wally is such a fun movie. Such an underrated, just really subtle, sweet movie. Um, I'm a huge fan of that. That's another one that I can just watch over and over again. It's such a cool movie. Pixar with these heavy messages too about how we should appreciate our planets and uh, our planet and the Earth as a whole too. And That's look at Wally by himself and Eva, of course, That's and how he could feel. Number three was Monsters Inc. for me. Yeah. Billy Crystal and John Goodman. It's lit. Mike and Sully. Mike and Sully. What a duo! So fantastic. And again, one of those really funny concepts that Pixar Pixar came out with just. You know, think of think of the workforce of the monsters and how they, yeah. they have this whole academy and how that spun off into its own thing, too. But but really, those two are, are just comedy gold together when you when you put them together and, and just an awesome cast of like Pixar just obviously has so much talent behind them. And the animation is great and, and the writing so good. But it comes back to these actors that they employ and, and just really hilarious stuff. Absolutely. Um, my number two is is the one that really has just started all. It, it is Toy Story. I mean, Toy yeah. Story is you know you get Tom Hanks to be Woody, you get Tim Allen in, in the cast as well. Such an creative, it, it, inventive idea of, of you know what if all your toys came to life, right? And just um, you know the, the the Potato Head Man is hilarious. It just all the characters, the T Rex guys is awesome. Um, the fact that they were able to keep bring, uh, you know, banging those movies out year after year. Fact that they were able to kind of bring it back to when Andy went to college and he came back home. It's just such an awesome, awesome movie. I love the, the dynamic of the old toy, like Woody, with the new toy coming in, like Buzz Lightyear, and who's going to run the show and stuff like that. 
it, it's uh, I love it so much. It's a super creative movie. I think the animation in that movie, even to this day, is still top notch. Um, I still think it looks phenomenal. I, I think it's probably its most. Um, it's it, it's probably Pixar's most recognizable brand, right? And it's probably its most uh, you know successful brand to date. I, I still love Toy Story to this day. Yeah, you figure what started it all. Number two for me was was up. You know, going back to that and just a, a great storyline of of this old man and and how he put the balloons to his house and to honor his late wife and how the little the little kid Russell and then the dog and and just this just Pixar just paints these these very vivid stories and the animation like you talked about how Toy Story set it off just continues to improve over the years. Number one for me is Toy Story. What's your number one, Ross? My number one was your number five. It's it's Finding Nemo. I, I mean, oh, the man. first time I saw Finding Nemo, I, I mean, as a guy, I cannot connect with uh, with, with the clownfish and, and you know, he, he's trying to be, a, you know, somewhat overprotective of his only son after he lost his wife and kids. But at what point do you let them go free? I think it's absolutely hilarious. Ellis DeGeneres absolutely kills it in that movie. Um, I think it looks amazing. The colors and, and being in the water with those fish. And I, I love the various villains. I love a good, I love a good, uh, like, like a trek, like an odyssey. Anytime you've got to like go on an adventure or a trip to go find somebody or, or find something. Um, which is why, you know, The Little Mermaid is also really high on my list as well for, for just original Disney films. But I love Finding Nemo so much and just an absolute terrific movie. I love the music in it as well. It's, it's just, it's to me, it's Pixar's funniest film. I, I, to this day, still laugh my ass off when it comes out. I love it so much. I feel like everybody's all about Coco. I'm surprised that it was not, I haven't seen it, so I have no. Yeah, Coco's good. It, it's not, it's a little, you know, I think in the last like 10 years, um, Pixar has gotten very serious with their tones of their movie. And really? They, yeah. And they've, they've you, taken kind like, of, you kind of do a double take, like see, taking your kids yeah, to very yeah. weighty subjects. Yeah. Yeah. They're, you know, I, I miss when they have like, I, I don't mind the seriousness and the serious tones of a movie, but I, I do miss a lot of the, the comedic atmosphere that they had in right. their earlier films. And, and like a movie like Coco is really good, but boy, it, 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 it takes on some heavy, heavy, uh, you, know, you know, strings that they're trying to pluck in that movie. So, you know, it, it's on my outside looking in, but still a really good movie. That franchise stays winning, my friends. Yep. We are out of show. Thank you to everybody for listening in and watching us. We're on YouTube, Spotify, Podbean, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. And catch us out visually uh, on YouTube, of course. Follow us on Twitter. Follow me at the real Evan Mack. Follow Ross at Ross Reed. Thank you to the Barroom Network for giving us a home. Follow them at Barroom Network for all the great shows. There's no science fiction tonight, I believe. So we'll be the cap to the channel. And for now, we say deuces. Everybody be good to each other out there. So long. Please.